All right, so uh, this morning, uh, like I said, we're in Revelation chapter 8. The title of the message is Silence and Heaven. Silence and Heaven. I think that out of this whole chapter, there are so many amazing things that happen, um, and yet the fact that this happens, silence in heaven, this phrase, is pretty astounding. I can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So I can end the message right here. <laughs> no. 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 It's all good. Uh, because in the fact that that, like you said, that there's all this worship going on, and somehow there's silence. That there's a gravity to about what we're about to read uh, and look at this morning. Um, but just to start. Uh, I mean, not that you don't know what times we're living in, but uh, I was reading uh, some news this morning while eating breakfast and uh, just about the path we're on. And there's all sorts of controversy over social media and censoring. But recently, YouTube censored a conservative commentator uh, speech, uh, Candace Owens, for hate speech for something that she had on one of her shows a year and a half ago with an author talking about Uh, how a man is a man and a woman is a woman and the dangers or the effects of these things on children. And uh, she was removed for hate speech. And people think that somehow that this is okay, that, uh, you know, that this isn't, that this is going to stop, that there's a limit, but it's going and going and going. And the fact that they're censoring things that are so clearly basic biology and truth for some ideology that they have. Uh, But I bring that up because... The Bible is at odds with, would be fall in the same category. If this podcast was scanned by their system with their audio recognition, like YouTube scans, I upload videos to YouTube and it scans for things that I say in it uh, and will flag it for that. Um, these things are coming next. Facial recognition, electronic payments, online records, all this amazing technology, but it's already being used to censor opposing views things that aren't even matters of truth, but just one side or the other, and even being flagged as awful as something is hateful, when nothing hateful was uh, being said, at least to my knowledge. Just the topic they, they viewed for having an opposite viewpoint was somehow hateful. But wait until the whole world is aligned under one man being God as their cause, let alone just the other causes that the world champions today, um, not just their political ideology or their sexual leaning. I just, uh, I'm... Uh, to think that people can see these things happening and have any knowledge, if they have any knowledge of Revelation, and not see the reality that God is coming back and that God told us these things would happen thousands of years ago, um, uh, it only shows you just how great the deception we're in. But I don't want to spend the whole time on that. I'll just get too angry and <laughs> storm out. <laughs> but Revelation, we know uh, the Apostle John was on Patmos, that island. He was exiled there. Uh, sort of legend or church history says that uh, they tried to execute him, but they couldn't, and so they exiled him instead. And as he's spending time with the Lord on uh, the Lord's Day, he's given this vision of Jesus, as we see in the beginning, where he's given the letters to the churches and where, where we get revelation. Jesus is revealed in full glory. The future is revealed uh, to him. Uh, we know that Revelation talks about the end of the world as we know it. Uh, I just always think of that 90s, I think it was an R.E.M. song that was about it. Um, But it was the great tribulation that there's been times and troubles on earth the whole time. But this is going to be the worst time ever. 
I remember they called World War One the Great War, the war to end all wars, and only a few years later there was World War Two, which was far worse. And the Great Tribulation is going to be even worse. There's judgment on the nations for those who follow Satan. Because it's clear at this point who they're following. Whether they're fully deceived and don't get it yet or not, it's clear, it's evident what's going on. Uh, but also I believe it's God's last-ditch effort to get the world to repent. Because as bad as the seven years of tribulation are, hell is worse. And if God wanted to wipe them out, he could just whoop, wipe them out. And he does that at the end. But he gives the world seven years to repent. And what do they do? They say, no, rocks fall on us instead. We'd rather be crushed by the mountain than turn to the living God. And part of it, they can't. They've taken the mark, but we won't get into the semantics of that. But hell is on earth, literally. People say, you know, oh, it's like, it's like hell. I wouldn't say that, but people have that expression. And Satan's kingdom literally is hell on earth in full force at this time. Satan is on the throne, you know, not quite there yet, but the abomination of desolation. He's taken over. He's uh, taken over this man. And um, as things begin to go on, he's ruling the earth. It's contested at some point. It's not this perfect utopia of the great reset like they're trying to sell us now. Uh, but God's wrath is also released on earth. And isn't that hell? God's wrath for eternity, separated from God. Um, and this is the tearing of that. But previously we saw the first four seals broken, the, the four horsemen, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale green horse, these different riders and things come out and happen on the earth. We saw the fifth seal, the martyrs slain for the word of God, their testimony. And God says, not yet, a little longer until you're avenged. The six seals, uh, signs in heaven, a great earthquake, the sun like sackcloth, moon like blood, stars of heaven fall, sky recedes like a scroll. And again, when we look at the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, um, I don't know exactly how linear it is. I don't know that there's not these happen, these happen, these happen. There's some overlap. Some open up and reveal others. And these things happen again. I feel like uh, it's almost like an overview when zooming in closer and closer. But um, again, I could be wrong. I'm not the foremost expert on these things. And I think even the foremost expert uh, would not get everything right by the time all these things play out. But the key is we can know with certainty that these things will happen. They will happen as they're said. Um, but some of the minutia we might... Uh, be able to have debates over. But again, everyone hides and they don't repent. But death isn't going to save them. Even nowadays, people think death is the way out. It's not the way out. And I think that's the most tragic thing about suicide or assisted suicide. You know, even worse than that is that you think it's bad now. You're, you know, and of course the enemy loves that because let me cut him off from any hope at death. But God, with that, we just we want to hear from you. And we want your word to speak to us by you, Holy Spirit, as only you can. God, we can postulate over these things our entire lives, but unless you reveal them to us, it's all in vain. So speak, we pray. And more importantly um, than just understanding your word, may we come to know you better, revealed for who you are, God, the King of, um, of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll take chapter 8 in a couple chunks here, and we'll read the first uh, six verses to start. It says, um, when he opened the seventh seal, uh, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Remember, the only one who can open these seals is Jesus. And John says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. 
And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. We see here that there was the seventh seal, that this scroll was sealed with seven seals, and this was the final seal. And as Jesus unlocked it, as he broke that seal and opened it, all of heaven went silent for about a half an hour. Now, I don't know how you measure 30 minutes in eternity, but forever it was, John knew it was 30 minutes. And 30 minutes might feel like an eternity. I remember sitting outside the principal's office as a kid. The 5, 10, 15 minutes felt like an eternity, but there was trouble coming. That this scroll had been sealed up for all of time and now was being opened. Um, and again, like we talked earlier, do you think there's ever silence in heaven? For all of eternity, has there ever been silence in heaven? I don't know, other than this event. This place where worship of God goes on and on and on and on. The angels night and day don't stop singing and worshiping. All of a sudden, the whole place goes silent. And it's interesting because even when God speaks, it's like thunderings and lightnings from his throne. And in so many sense, there's not even the sound of the roar of the flame of God's presence. Because there's very, something very significant about to happen. That this seal that is being broken causes everyone to go silent in awe and reverence. And I think in part because full-on war between heaven and earth, heaven and hell, is about to break out. And I, I don't want to get too... Again, into semantics on that because obviously the war has been going on, the spiritual war on earth and all that. But I think the point is, is that God has allowed man and Satan to have their full will. We saw that in the four horsemen, right? That God, in a sense, it's a cause and effect. God allows man to have his will. God allows Satan and these horses to go out when he breaks these seals. But it's not exactly God's direct judgment. It's almost like God's abandonment judgment that Romans talks about. When we turn from God, the only effect we get is the broken world we live in. America's turned from God, and so the only thing we have left is what we're reaping right now. You reap what you sow, and America sowed these things, the same sort of thing. They allowed this king to go out, all these other things to happen, and God allowed that as a form of judgment. But now God is doing things directly, as we'll get into direct cause and effect from heaven cast down to earth. That there were, uh, before it was just the consequences of a fully unleashed evil will taking over. And now God is going to be directly firing uh, a salvo of bullets and a barrage from heaven against that evil will. That the seals are cut off. Again, the scroll that no one in heaven on the earth or under the earth could open is being fully opened. Fully revealed by Jesus. The only one who's worthy. Again, he's the only one who's worthy to bring wrath on anyone. When Jesus read that verse in Isaiah, uh, when he stood before them, he didn't finish it. It talks about judgment. That when he came first, he came in peace to be sacrificed. When he's coming back, he's riding on a horse. He's a king coming to conquer, and once and for all, no one will be able to fight against his rule. That's interesting. Uh, in the commentary, David Guzik says, According to Jewish tradition, there are seven angels who stand in God's presence. 
I thought it was interesting. Apparently, based on this verse, the tr that traditional idea was accurate. I just think that that's an interesting little anecdote there, that even the Jews had a sense of what was going on in, in heaven here. And the very angels who stand before God, that these are the angels who stand right directly in front of him. I don't think that these are the creatures, because there was four of those, but there's are seven angels there in front of him. Seraphim, I don't know. Um, uh, but they are given trumpets. I don't know if there's a closet in heaven that's got all the trumpets and, you know, a little angel comes out and gives them trumpet. I don't know how this works. But these angels now have not had these trumpets to blow until this final moment. And again, I don't know that they need a trumpet right before God. God is there. But again, the trumpet, uh, you would blow before a king comes, before a war, before a celebration, before a feast. And they're about to blow these right now. After silence, it's going to be mistakenly not silence when these seven angels blow loudly. And again, as this is going on, another angel comes with incense, that they have this uh, spiritual incense that they uh, have prepared to light before God. And it reminds me of a few verses, uh, like Ephesians 5.2, Paul says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice for God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Um, and in Philippians 4.18, Indeed, I have all abound in full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And it's interesting that this comes after the talk about the martyrs and, uh, you know, them wanting, um, you know, vengeance and to be uh, freed and everything. And then 2 Corinthians says, uh, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I remember reading this verse early on uh, after coming to the Lord. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these? Paul says that our lives smell. You can't cover it up. There's, not a matter, there's no spiritual deodorant to cover up the way your life is being. And if it smells good to God, it's not going to smell good to the world. And if it smells good to the world, it's not going to smell good to God. But also this thought that our prayers and our suffering for Jesus, like Romans talks about laying our lives down on a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, that they smell good to God. And again, what sort of smell are we giving off? As we get into Thanksgiving and Christmas, I begin to think of all the things my wife is going to bake, the cinnamon rolls. And, and we were talking last night how uh, last year, well, she brought it up and I didn't remember that. Uh, what was it? The sweet potatoes burned? The sugar came out and burned and the hall upstairs was smoky and yeah. I was like getting the kids downstairs. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't remember. I think it killed some of my brain cells. But do we smell like that? Or do we smell like the sweet cinnamon rolls cooking in the oven? But I find it interesting that the prayers of the saints are mixed in here, that there is this heavenly incense, but that the prayers are mixed in with them. Is this from all time? Is this just from the martyrs? Is it just from the tribulation? I don't know. But God, God has our prayers mixed in with these things. And if you think your prayers aren't being answered now, know that they will be in God's time. I think that's one of the hardest parts about our our duty, our battle on earth is praying and not seeing an answer. I love to see immediate answers to the things I do. I love to have cause and effect. I make this, this happens. I work for two weeks, I get paid for two weeks. I like to see the end. And, and when we put in all that effort, especially the things that we pray about are so deep sometimes about our family and our friends and just other things in life. And that to see it continue on, them continue in sin or be hurt more by it and not be answered yet. Know that they will be answered in God's time. Remember Daniel uh, was praying and the angel was held up for weeks and said, we heard your prayer. We were dispatched right away, Daniel. But it took time for us to get here because of the battle.
But know that your prayers will come to fruition in the final battle. To take part in them now, even if they won't really be fully answered until eternity. Think of the old World War II Victory Garden posters. You know, We need this spiritual propaganda, so to speak, to keep us invested in a battle that's hard and long and has many casualties. But it's interesting that the angel threw this censer full of prayers and incense to the earth. Again, it just it shows me that the walls between the spiritual realm and the physical realm are being more and more eroded, that there's more and more of a literal connection between heaven and earth. Reality is being more and more revealed. We don't see heaven now. People wonder, oh, there's not one. We just have this physical world. Science doesn't believe in the soul or the spirit. They just believe in your mind and your emotions and your body. And even then, they have it all mixed up. But it's going to be clear. God is going to reveal everything. There's a connection between our world and the heavenly. Even now, just because we can't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. The things we do now have eternal consequences, and heavenly decrees have direct impact on earth. You know, remember Jesus prayed and taught us to pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And unfortunately, at this time, this is God's will being done. You've rejected my son. You've fully, you're full-on rebellion. You would rather Satan himself rule over you. There's no choice but me to unleash my wrath against that. I can't stand and let that go on. And we see as this happens, as this incense hits the earth, that there's noises, thunderings, lightning, and an earthquake. What are these noises? Well, I don't know what the noises are, but I'm sure they're not pleasant sounds. I'm sure they're frightening sounds, awe-inspiring sounds. If you heard them, it would cause you to think, what in the world is going on? And scientists have even found that there can be noise from earthquakes, lightning and sprites and things, even out of earthquakes, from just the things that happen just in the natural realm. Uh, even, you know, whether they're real or not, I've come across videos of people uh, as strange sounds in clear skies. And this is just our day and age. These aren't necessarily the same sounds and earthquakes and lightnings, but in the final time, we see the world getting weirder and weirder and more and more spiritual things manifesting themselves as physical things in our world. I mean, I don't want to get on the topic, but people talk about aliens. you think that that's aliens? That's demonic. That these things are getting so bold and brazen, lying signs and wonders in the heavens as we get closer to the end, that that veil is being lifted, that revelation is being revealed. And verse 6 says, The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And again, can you imagine these angelic beings preparing themselves in heaven? You know, I didn't know that anyone really had to prepare in heaven. I figured it's heaven, it's perfect. Everything's kind of all ready already. You know, <laughs> oh, you want something to eat? It's right there. Um, but they prepared themselves here. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're getting their, or licking their lips, get stretching their cheeks out. You know, what, uh, who's that uh, classic trumpet player? Uh, but, he, you know, the big cheeks, his cheeks would stretch out as he's playing the trumpet. It's from like the 40s or something. Uh, but anyway, they're lining up, they're stretching out, they're, uh, you know, they're getting ready. I just, all of heaven is in awe at this. And yet the world is literally being rocked by God kicking off his wrath with a bowl of what I believe in some sense is most precious to him, the prayers of the saints. You know, God collects our tears in a bottle. He has our prayers that smell good to him and he's hurling them back to the earth. These are the prayers of my saints and I'm going to kick off judgment with them. Let's go on. Verse 7 says, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. You see, this is the first trumpet 
whatever that trumpet sounded like, however loud it was, goes off, breaks the silence. Hail and fire mingle with blood, come from heaven and rain down on earth. Literally hail, large ice tones, and fire coming down from heaven. This isn't lightning, because we just saw lightning. The Bible is clear about lightning. He's talking about fire raining down. Makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah. When God rained fire down and, and uh, destroyed that place. But also blood. And again, just thinking of the Bible, it reminds me of Exodus, with the ten plagues in Egypt, where there's this world dictator ruling and enslaving God's people, his will against God's thinking himself to be God. Pharaoh thought they were God. They were worshipped as God. And what do you think when hail and fire and blood come down? You're on the earth. Hail, okay, maybe you can kind of understand. We get a lot of hail out here. We know what that's like. But fire? This isn't natural phenomena. This reminds me of some Jerry Bruckheimer 90s movie. There's fire coming down from the sky. And, uh, you know, Bruce Willis or something is running around. But it's clearly spiritually induced phenomena. It's physical things going on. I believe it's actual fire, actual hail, actual blood. But there's no physical cause for it. Right now you can kind of look and say, oh, well, there's hail coming because there's a storm and there's water in the clouds and the weather pattern and everything. But this is from heaven. In Romans 1, 20 through 21, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, which is interesting, that's a, a big part, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That even throughout all of history, creation has revealed God to us. But now you see this coming out of heaven? Could you not start thinking about God? Would you not start thinking about the spiritual realm? Or at least begin to question your choices in life when fire and blood fall out of the sky? I don't know that people do. The deception is so great at this time. But what happens? We see a third of the trees of the earth are burned up. And being out here in Montana, we know about wildfires. The West knows about wildfires. California, I think, doesn't have any clue because they keep catching on fire every year. But of course, there's fire raining down everywhere. Not to mention the blood as well. I mean, what does that even look like? How much blood are we talking about? Is it, when it rains and everything gets wet, is it that much? Is it? I don't know. But where there's fire, there's smoke. So there's smoke everywhere as well. People were panicking this past year when Australia was on fire and California and Oregon and Washington. But it says that all the green grass, this isn't just localized. This is, I believe, the entire world. You know, people will try and say the flood was a local flood. I don't believe that. It was a worldwide flood. And the same thing here. You can try and localize this, but I believe it's worldwide. There's no reason why it shouldn't be in my mind and from what I see in the scripture. But all the green grass is burned up. That fire ain't up. Maybe the trees are too wet in some areas of the world, like Florida. But the grass, the grass burns up. Everyone's nice lawn, every golf course burned up. Can you imagine this worldwide? The amount of smoke, the amount of turmoil, the amount of trouble. Not to mention all the people and the uh, millions and perhaps billions of people have already died in the wars and the famines and the pestilences and everything and the animals and everything and disease and everything else that's come around and uh from the four horsemen but this is going on now and i think the worst part yet it's not over and it's not even close to being over yet this is the first trumpet and part of me being a guy i love this sort of thing i'm finally seeing justice coming out on the earth god 
pouring out his wrath. Yes, he's finally defeating his enemies, finally giving what they deserve. But that was really at the cross, that God really poured out his full wrath there. But somehow there's this deep satisfaction on one hand, like seeing the good guys defeat the bad guys. But on the other hand, um, you know, even though it's heavenly and it's pure and it's holy and it's awe-inspiring where you might sit there and be silent before it, there's this grief mixed in. Like with the flood, God was grieved when he had to destroy the earth. It wasn't just, oh, I hate these people. I can't believe they come against me and destroy them. He was grieved. And there's a sense here of that as well, that there's, no, there's a pleasure in seeing one's enemies defeated, but there should, as a believer, be a grief in knowing that it didn't have to be this way. Talk about if someone broke in my house and wouldn't stop coming after my family, I would have to stop them and use lethal force if necessary to protect my family. It wouldn't be something, it's not something that I relish or enjoy or dream about, but would have to do. And I think it's the same way with God that this has to be done. This isn't um, a judgmental God for the sake of judgment. It's judgment, it's God's judgment because God is holy. And there comes a point where evil needs to be dealt with. And verse 8 and 9 says, Then the second angel sounded, so another loud trumpet, and something like a great mountain with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This next angel blows his trumpet that going on down the line, all this happens. I don't know how long, you know, is it a month? Is it a week? Is it a day? Is What's the difference on earth? I don't know the time frame, but the next trumpet blows. Maybe it's the same day. I don't know. It'll be an awful day. But again, we're talking about a period that's at most seven years, likely three and a half years at this point left. So they're happening fairly quickly in succession. And John says something like a great mountain burning thrown to the sea. So could it be an asteroid? Sure. Uh, but I have a feeling in the sense that it's more than asteroid, because it's not just like a great mountain. Because the third of the sea turns to blood. And again, that third could be turned to blood because the, the creatures that die uh, in, the, in the ocean, it could be that. But I think that there's something more than that in this time period, that there's also this spiritual sense, just like with the Nile turning to blood and all the water in Egypt turning to blood, that this literally turns to blood here. And again, I feel like there's got to be something with the one-third thing going on, huh? you know, Somebody else can figure it out. Maybe it has to do with the Trinity. I don't know. But God keeps striking a third and a third and a third of these things. And again, uh, the same commentary talks about the sea maybe a specific reference to the Mediterranean and not a reference to all oceans. Uh, because in the world of, of their time, the Mediterranean Sea was the sea and they really had little knowledge of other oceans. And, and I get that. But in a sense, I don't think that the Bible is just talking about the Mediterranean here. I believe that this is the entire ocean. Again, it could be wrong, but I don't, I don't get the sense that God is doing a specific attack here when the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. But again, either that blood is directly from this phenomena or the creature that died. Again, I believe it's from the phenomena. Um, it's a flaming heavenly mountain tossed into the sea. That God's kingdom uh, is destroying the earthly kingdom. Remember the, the vision of uh, Nebuchadnezzar where uh, a giant rock comes and crushes all the kingdoms. A giant mountain comes and crushes all the kingdoms. In a sense, this is... Uh, uh, the beginning of that happening. And God did that with blood. And when God won over sin, he did it with blood. And again, God is using his blood here. But there are also, I don't want to take away from the practical side of it, there are creatures dying, 
you know, uh, ships are being destroyed, the things that we depend on for food, for life, the biome, for trade and commerce are being destroyed. Later on, we'll see uh, the world economic system destroyed, but right now, uh, the ships are being destroyed. Um, again, I don't think it's a limited event. Um, it's bigger than that. It's usually that God begins to, to, to knock out all these things um, all over the world. Let's go on and continue to look at 10 and 11. It says, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Uh, again, the third angel down the line sounds here. We see a great star fall from heaven burning like a torch. I think what a picture that is. A big, bright fireball coming through the sky. Um, could be an asteroid. Could be a comet. Uh, you know, again, this summer we were looking at meteor showers outside. And I think they, uh, maybe it was the Leonids, they're made out of copper. Um, or whatever material it is, it starts to glow green as they come through the sky. And there's this big green streak in the sky. And it's beautiful. Uh, I don't know that this is <laughs> as beautiful as that. Maybe it caused them all, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of uh, these meteorites, or there's one in Russia a few years ago where it was, it was night or early morning, people were driving to work, and all of a sudden the sky gets super bright from this thing, and it hits, and windows get blown out and everything. Um, but this is even larger than that. Um, a th it says that the Bible says a third of the rivers and springs of water. So before we saw the seas were struck, right? A third of the seas, the fish, the ships, blood returned to blood, the salt water was turned to blood, but now we see that the rivers and springs even coming out of the earth, the spring comes out of the earth, is even poisoned. That underground water sources, perhaps, the water table, the, whatever this thing that hits the earth begins to leach into the ground and poison a third of our fresh water. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but the name of the star is Wormwood. And this word is curious, uh, it's absinthian, it just means bitterness. Um, you know, there's not, there wasn't much clarity in actually the word definition of wormwood. It just means bitterness. And again, I don't know how true it is, but many years ago when the Lord was starting to get my attention, I was listening to this techno song back in the day when I used to the techno, but I had this sample, and I don't know, uh, some crazy guy, but he was talking about Chernobyl meaning wormwood. Now, I can't vouch for this, but I bring this up to bring up an interesting point. The thought of radiation, the thought of some sort of poisoning to everything where it's made bitter. How would John describe Radiation. How would John describe radiation sickness? Uh, you know, the effects that these guys who had at Chernobyl and other disasters uh, or, you know, in Japan and World War II, um, just with the get sick, your body cooks from the inside out, you throw up, you get sick. Now, I don't know what that is, but it's interesting to think of a possible connection there. Um, it's intriguing. But something is turning this fresh water bitter. If you remember, again, the Israelites uh, in the wilderness came to the pools of Meribah, and they had to throw a tree in there. It was bitter. And they had to put the tree in to make it sweet. Again, a picture of the cross and of life. But again, now the fresh water, before it wasn't what you drank. Now it's what you drank. And even then, you drink it. It gets sick from an extraterrestrial source. Now, uh, I'm sure many died from drinking it. I'm sure also many died from not having fresh water now. I mean, what do you do? Especially out here where it, you know, it doesn't rain much. What do you do if you don't have fresh water? You know? <laughs> The, we had some issues with the well uh, a couple months ago and had the power and arcing and without fresh water, that's kind of a, an emergency. You know, worst case scenario, we could go to the pond and purify it, but Super One's open, I go get a couple gallons of water, you know, 
but that's not going to happen. A third of the fresh water, Poland spring water, bitter. You can't get it from them anymore. Now, was there proof of it dying for it? Could they look at it and tell? Could they test it and tell? Could they use a Geiger counter, a pH strip? I don't know. But they had one third less fresh water. And it's interesting. I looked, I looked this stat up uh, from National Geographic. It says, of all the water on Earth, more than 99% of Earth's water is unusable by humans and many other living things, either frozen in ice caps or being salt water. Only about 0.3%, not even 1%, a third of a percent of our fresh water is found in the surface water of lakes, rivers, and swamps. So to begin with, we only have less than a third of a percent of all the water on Earth that's available to us as fresh water. Um, I love how they think we're going to run out of water when it rains and it comes back up and then it rains again. <laughs> like, there's a cycle here, guys. We haven't run out of water yet. But the point I'm trying to make is that now the Earth is down to 0.1% usable water. 99.9% .9 of the water is now completely unusable on Earth, let alone a third of, a third of the other 99% is now blood. There's no grass left. There's smoke in the sky, so there's not much clean air. There's 66% uh, of the trees left. We know that people spaz out about some deforestation in Brazil, and I get it to some degree because they're afraid that we're not going to have oxygen, but don't they know that the ocean produces most of the oxygen? But I digress. Now 66% of the ocean is left, so the ocean is pro producing less oxygen. So this is really, a, I mean, I don't know why they don't just use this for a apocalyptic movie. This is, this is scary. And again, polluted water from this star that fell from heaven. And again, as a comparison, Satan is described as a star falling from heaven in areas of scripture. But has he not polluted the drinking water of the word, so to speak, distorting God's word for Eve and anyone else who doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit and is poisoned by it? Uh, again, it's a loose connection, but I think it's interesting that you know God, again, I'm sure, is using these final events of practical pictures, of spirit, parables in a sense of real life, of these spiritual things, um, wrath for their actions, drinking from polluted spiritual wells, and now all their wells are polluted as well. Just like when God struck Egypt, he struck the things that matter to them, uh, the different gods that they worship, the Nile that was their source of life, and now he's doing a similar thing here for the whole world. Let's go on, verse 12 through 13 says, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. It's interesting that the fourth angel's blast releases an angel to tell people the next three coming are, off, are even worse. But we see that this is the fourth angel sounds. This is number four of seven. Like I said, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to be more fun. There's no escape. There's no, no, no rocket ship with Elon Musk to get you to Mars out of this. Sorry, Elon. Uh, you can't go to Mars and get away from this. But it says a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars again. Does the sun lose one third of its power? Possibly. I'm not going to discount this to just practical effects uh, of the last trumpet, right? Um, because the moon reflects what the sun gives, uh, you know, uh, smoke and fire in the atmosphere could cause these things to be dim. But I think again, that because this is a trumpet, this is coming from heaven, that there's something more going on here. This is a spiritual thing. Um, 
uh, you know, that these things of uh, a third of the angels fell with Satan when he rebelled in heaven. We see a third of the angels darkened. That God, there's these pictures and these alignments between all of eternity and all of um, the end of time coming together. Things that weren't linked physically are now physically showing their manifestations. And again, I don't know how these work behind the scenes, but it's lining up. Again, God's saying, look, you want to you rebel? This is the effects of your rebelling. Again, could it be an effect of earlier trumpets? Um, you know, just like, uh, you know, when we had the, what was it, the eclipse a few years ago? And in the daytime, even if you didn't get the full eclipse, daylight still dimmed. It was almost like there was a dimmer switch. It was this really interesting and odd sensation of the sun being turned down. Now, was that a third? I don't know. It depends where you are. But remember that God put the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky to be signs for what? Times and seasons. And now God is in a sense, I remember being in elementary school when we were too loud, the teacher might flip, flick the lights a couple times to get our attention. I think God's flicking the lights a couple of times. He's flashing his high beams at us. I'm shutting these things off because time is ending. Your time is almost up here, guys. This is your two-minute warning. And I think that this is probably the most important part of this trumpet was this angel flying through the skies. Was it heaven directly? Was it Earth's atmosphere? I kind of believe that, again, there's this overlap there. The commentary talks about this word being close to the word for eagle, too. Um, you know, it is what it is. But I think God is heralding and warning the Earth here. The Holy Spirit has been removed, taken out of the way. He's gone back to heaven, and so, does, and so to speak. He came down in Pentecost. He leaves and allows Satan to have his way on the Earth at this point. He's the one who is restraining, keeping the lawless man away, as the Bible talks about. But the church and him aren't here to warn people, so to speak. Yes, people are getting saved. Yes, they're saints. But God is actually sending out another warning now. Flying through the atmosphere. Warning them. This is what's happening, guys. Woe to you. Just like Jesus said, woe to you, Bethsaida and Corinth. You know, if these signs and wonders have been done in other cities, they would have repented long ago in Sodom and Gomorrah. But you're not repenting. And this world is not repenting. And the angel is giving them every opportunity to know that it's not going to get any better. Today is the day. Um, but it, this is a tough time to stop in the scripture. It'd be great to be able to go on, but things are really ramping up. And I think that just like there was a pause in heaven, a silence for half an hour, we've ingested so much here, we need, we need to stop. We need to take it for what it is and pause and consider these things. Just like in the Psalms when it says, say, law, to pause, we need to stop and consider this judgment, the amount of it. And it keeps getting worse and worse. People are dying. The world is being destroyed. The foundations are falling apart. And to think about this this week ourselves, what it means for earth, for the future, for us, for now. You know, how should this affect our lives? If we really believe that this is coming, how is this going to affect our lives? And, and not even just Revelation, but anything. Corinthians, Luke, Ezekiel. If this is true, how should our lives be? What should we be living for? And like I was talking about earlier, when we were looking for a house and we can't find one out here, is God moving us elsewhere? Is he not? I'm not ready to make a commitment anywhere unless I know it's for God's purpose. Yeah, this house is great. Yeah, I could see God doing something here or something here. But I know that God has called us here to do something in Montana. And I know that our time isn't up yet here. And if it comes to be that day, one day, then great. But until then, I want to keep going but not by what I see, by what the Bible shows.
by what I believe God has shown. But more than that, when we think about judgment, know that God is absolutely holy, that there's none worthy, none like Him in heaven or the earth, or under the earth, like we talked about, but that this is from a holy God. That if these things are happening, it's because they're right and they're true and they have to happen. And if we know they're going to happen, again, how are we living our lives to, to the extent that we should? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And are we ready? And are those around us ready? You know, they may not believe you. I remember getting saved and telling my friends about Revelation. And if I'm not here one day, please look to the Bible. And they thought I was crazy. Of course, of course, it's crazy to tell somebody that. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And I pray that they will remember that if they haven't come to him yet. But then the time, let's be silent and, and think about when, when these things happen in our life, when our life gets hard, when there seems to be some judgment in our life and we can't make sense of it, that maybe we should just be silent and listen and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Why uh, You're trying to get my attention, obviously. What is it for? And thankfully, as his children, these sort of things don't have to come upon us um, if we're seeking him. But God, we thank you for your word, that you are holy, that you are worthy to open the scroll, that you're the only one who's worthy to bring judgment on people. Yes, we can judge and inspect and say this is right and wrong but always have that hand out of hope so to speak of lord that if we're judging someone it's to say hey look like there's a way out of this there's a better way to live jesus died for you i was there too but he saved me he pulled me out of the pit and he can pull you out of this pit too whether you realize it's a pit or not and god let us be ready and waiting and full of faith that when you come back we wouldn't We'd be surprised in one sense, but not in the other. Um, and come soon, we pray. But God, may you bring many people to faith to know you before this happens. And even then, as our prayers are part of that bowl of incense that's tossed to the earth, may God, your will be done on earth as in heaven, even if it means coming to this tomorrow. We love you, God, and trust you for these things. Bless our nation and uh, bring your church uh, back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and this face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord, there is a vineyard for our soul, with all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.